0: Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified.
1: Uh, Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.
0: Hey,
2: Jim. Hey, Catherine. Quick question. If someone came into your space about 45 minutes ago to fix something and we're in there for a total of maybe 10 minutes and you've had mm-hmm. two windows and a fan open since then. Can you take your mask off? Yes. Awesome.
1: Were they fixing and can I? And can your... you close the
2: window? Cause it's cold outside. Oh yeah. Great.
1: Texas winters, man.
2: Well, it was 90 degrees the other day and then a cold front came in.
1: I'm so sorry about that.
2: That's cold and rainy, which is not what I came here for.
1: Was the person there fixing your puppy?
2: <laughs> no, my I'm fixing my puppy. Um,
1: How old is she?
2: How old is she? Uh, Didn't you
1: find out they were gonna well, do she's some sort of-
2: somewhere between 10 months and a year.
1: Okay, so p- probably fully grown.
2: Well. Maybe. No. Oh. She could get up to maybe 80 pounds, which is large.
1: Oh, yeah. How big
2: is Moses gonna be?
1: I think he will probably get close to 100.
2: Oh my God. Why did yeah. we get enormous dogs?
1: Uh, you know, it seemed reasonable at the time, but then yes. once you have so, one. So,
2: like so many things.
1: The main question I have is how, what is her name?
2: Oh, her name. Yes, she has a name. Betty.
1: That's very lovely. It fits well with Moses. They'll be really good friends. Yeah.
2: I wonder who will be Alpha. Probably Betty. She's older. She's lived outside and she isn't coddled like your dog.
1: Oh, yeah. Moses is not cool. He is like a big doofus. He just goes up to other dogs and licks them in the face. And they growl and stuff, and he just keeps wagging his tail and trying to lick them.
2: Yeah. Well, Betty is a little more reserved, but she's a big goofball, too.
1: Good. You know, we have the election next week, which bears on the pandemic and our entire physical situation, right? Well,
2: I guess that's that's a good question, isn't it? Like, will the outcome of the election change things and how? Like, we're, we've are we been talking about, you know, heading into the winter, blah, blah, blah. We're experiencing this third spike. Would the outcome of the election make a difference one way or another? on uh, Or are we kind of already on the train?
1: I have been thinking about this quite a lot. Yeah. There, you know, it, I think it's sort of like a, a puppy. How so? Your early response really shapes, you know, how the puppy is raised and what they experience in their first, like, two years of life. Mm. We'll do a lot more to determine how they are when they're 10 years old. Not that you can't, you know, teach an old dog new tricks, as they say, but there's an early period where you're really setting the tone for what the national response is going to be like and who's aligned with who and, you know, how big the threat is be Are you
2: calling coronavirus an old dog?
1: (laughs) Not yet, but we have already sort of gotten into some trenches and ideas uh that are not ideal in this country and the ship gets harder to turn the further into it you get is my sense not that Hmm.
2: this is fascinating because you're usually very optimistic and you're like we can it's not too late (laughs) and now you're like nope (laughs) the die is cast
1: well i wouldn't quite say that but it just gets harder to change
2: I think we should bring in Ed. Ed Young has been covering the pandemic for before, the kind of before there was a pandemic. Hello. Hey, Ed.
0: Oh, hey, Ed. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. I'm still here. I You're endure. Here. <laughs> you persist. I persist. Um,
1: we we were discussing on a previous episode that the answer is supposed to be not too bad.
0: Oh, but, I mean, I'm British, so not too bad is already the default. Not too bad <laughs> means, like, everything's great.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay, uh, Ed, you're a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I, I think our basic question is, is the election going to make a difference in terms of the course of this pandemic?
0: I mean, it can. It, it's so... I think the way to look at it is that the election gives us a chance to avert one truly terrible timeline and the alternative will still be difficult like the pandemic whatever happens is still going to be a problem on January you know on January 21st no matter who is in the white house but I think we can make some very clear predictions I'm going to I'm going to give you four facts which are pretty inarguable. And I'm just going to put them next to each other. Number one, Donald Trump has clearly mishandled this pandemic to scale that I don't think even his most cynical critics, like me, really anticipated several years ago. Number two, Trump has also proved that he does not learn from his mistakes. So even when he himself is infected by the virus, it doesn't change his rhetoric about it, about trying to downplay it, about making all the same logical and intuitive errors that he's made throughout this entire year. He is a fixed post. Number three, as I've said, the pandemic is still going to be a problem in 2021. It is still going to rage on. We're in the third surge now and things don't look good. And it's going to be some time before a vaccine arrives and actually starts making a difference. And finally, number four, perhaps the most important and the least discussed of these, there is probably going to be another major epidemic in the next four years, during the next presidential term. Maybe it won't be a pandemic, but it it will probably happen. And we can say this with some degree of certainty because every recent president before Trump has had to deal with their own epidemic challenges.
2: So we're referring to like swine flu and Ebola?
0: Obama had to deal with four of these. He had to deal with um, the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, uh, the 2009 H1N1 swine flu epidemic, Zika, and MERS, another Mm -hmm. coronavirus illness. So in some ways, we are very lucky that Trump has only had one of these to deal with and that it has arrived at the end of his term rather than at the very start. Because if this happened in 2017, we would be in for three more years of it. Whereas right now, there is actually an inflection point coming up in the next week when Americans can make a choice to do something different.
2: Can we talk specifically? Like, let's sure. let's take the the case that Biden wins. What is different on November 4th or January 21st?
0: So on November 4th, almost nothing is different. Donald Trump is still the president, and he is still doubling down on the same strategy of inaction that he has at first inadvertently pursued, and now it seems to be deliberately pursuing. So November and December look bad, and the future is kind of baked in. We have cases surging. We have hospitalizations also rising. We're seeing repeats of November where a lot of hospitals are filling up to or beyond capacity. Doctors are having to make difficult decisions. Doctors are exhausted. They're even more exhausted than they were in the spring. And reinforcements are going to be more difficult to come by. We know through what has happened through the rest of the year that when you start seeing patterns like this, the near-term future is already baked in because there are these lags between people's behaviour, between infections, between hospitalizations, and between deaths. Um, death rates are already starting to rise and will continue to rise. And then on top of all of that, we'll have um, you know, college students returning home. We'll have people gathering in family groups for Thanksgiving. We'll have Christmas coming up. There are a lot of worrying signs on the horizon which suggest that at the very least the problem is not going to go away. And at the very worst, we're in for a very rough couple of months.
2: What happens? In January. Uh-huh. Does anything change?
0: So let's say Biden comes into office in, gen- in late January. What changes? Well, Some of what's in his plans are the right things. So they're things like widespread testing, a mask mandate, um, paid sick leave for everyone. All of these things are important for helping to reduce the spread of the virus and for giving people the option of staying as safe as possible.
2: I mean, are those things up to Biden or is this an assumption that things in Congress change as well?
0: I think that a fully functioning federal government with a leader who actually understands the stakes of what is happening and can marshal the power of the federal government to coordinate an actual strategy for controlling the pandemic, which we've not had so far. We have had weak, detail-free plans and a total lack of coordination, leaving responsibility up to the states. If we do something different and we have a leader that can actually take this seriously, I think it will make a difference. I mean, it's got to. And like it's you know, it's not going to be like suddenly final week of January, the pandemic is under control. But I think that we can take steps that are just not being taken. Like the federal government is it's a bit like a battleship, right? It's got immense power, but it takes some time to turn the thing. But it's not going to turn if someone isn't actually trying to turn it, which is the situation we're in now. The thing that I worry about and that I don't have a sense of how this is going to play out is communication and the information issue. So one of the Hmm. massive problems this year has been that Trump has misled people virtually at every chance he gets. His Twitter stream his press conferences, his rallies, all of them have been potent sources of misinformation about the pandemic, and they have undoubtedly made things worse. Now, if you have a president who actually says the right things, who tries to unify people, who gives calm um, and evidence-based information, who attempts the sort of rallying uh, community spirit building rhetoric that past presidents have tried to achieve, will that make a difference? I would hope so. But then again, even if Trump isn't president, he's still gonna be tweeting, right? He's still gonna be in the news and people will still want to hear what he's saying. So how does that problem change if the person who's talking from the Oval Office is making more sense? I would hope that it makes a difference, but again, I don't think it suddenly like flips everything to normalcy. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: You know, you've written a lot about how our response has been undermined by systemic issues like underfunded public health, mm-hmm. um, social safety net issues, how much of this, you know, that's not gonna change overnight just with the president. But if the Senate is one, if there's some unanimousness in who controls different branches of government does that have a possibility to really make a difference in these issues that you've highlighted
0: i i don't know and i worry a little about this because i think that this is an issue that does transcend administrations right so the 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 weakening of public health is not just a trump administration thing it you know it, it it is a thing that has been happening through both Republican and Democratic administrations for several decades. Um, will we turn that around? Um, I think COVID 19 certainly makes the case that we should. And there are a few promising signs. So, you know, the fact that, as I've said, paid sick leave is part of the Biden Harris plan. That's good, right? So it suggests that they're not just going to bank on the biomedical countermeasures like drugs and vaccines in the same way that a lot of Trump's people are doing. But in many ways, Biden has run a campaign that's based on the idea of returning America to like the good old days, right? The days when we didn't have a demagogue in power. But even in, yeah. those, in those times... There were still big problems, right? There, you know we've, there was a weakened public health system, there was an overstretched health system. there were problems with the carceral state, with you know long-term care for the elderly, all the health inequalities that have manifested this year. And I think you sort of need more radical reform to actually deal with any of those things. My worry is that the act of not having Trump in power anymore will be such a relief to so many people that they will forget just how much the normal world we had predisposed us to a pandemic of this kind and therefore not put in the work to actually bolster healthcare systems and all the rest and public health systems for the challenges to come. Yeah, I've read writing from um, historians who've said that America is very good has been very good right from its very founding at using technology to bypass massive social problems. And I think the same is probably going to be true here. Like, we will have a vaccine in a shorter time than any vaccine has ever been produced. And I worry that it's going to lure us into some sense of complacency that stops us from actually dealing with all of these much broader, much deeper, much older problems that still need to be fixed.
2: Right, right. Can we take the opposite hypothetical for a second? Say Trump wins Mm -hmm. re-election, he stays in power, but now he doesn't have um, the sort of, I guess, looming election. What do you think happens then?
0: As I've said, he has mishandled things. He has shown absolutely no sign that he is able to or willing to learn from his mistakes. So his strategy is going to be the same. And it has been codified in this herd immunity idea where we're basically just going to let the pandemic run free and he's going to continue lying to and misleading people. Does that leave us in a worse position than now? that's possible. It certainly isn't going to improve things. And let's remember that even now, you know, things are really bad. Like at the plateau of the death rate in the last couple of months, we were still having 700 or so people dying every day. And that number is going to get higher. There are more documented confirmed infections than at any previous point of the epidemic, and. even though we were probably missing far more cases in March due to the much greater lack of testing, it's still not good, right? We still have tens of thousands of people who are contracting this virus every day right now. And even though a lot of them won't die, many of them will still experience long-term symptoms as a result of those infections. COVID-19, in just a year, has become the second leading cause of death in the US. It has become probably the leading cause of death among younger people aged 25 to 44. It is causing some degree of disability that we still don't quantify because we have no way of doing that, but is clearly large and growing. So I think the concerns about having Trump be re-elected are twofold. One is that these trends will continue, but two, we will habituate to them because, to a degree, we will have no choice. Like, I think that people will stop being able to sit with that scope of death and disability and disease for much longer. To a degree, we already have. Like, people yeah. are getting numb. Oh, well, yeah, to that's
2: it. my question. I how. Aren't we already doing that? Isn't that already the case?
0: I mean, I think I think it's true, right? So I wrote this piece about how we are trapped in this pandemic spiral, and we keep on making the same mistakes over and over again because of a lot of different failures of intuition, and I listen, nine in the piece. They are things that people have made that you and I and our listeners have probably made over this year, that leaders, administrators of schools and colleges, mayors and governors have made, and that Trump has absolutely made and made a lot worse for everyone else. And the ninth of these, the very final one, which I think makes all the others worse, is exactly this, habituation to horror, that we will become numb to this. I think, Catherine, like the, the last time we spoke on this podcast, you, I think, very rightly said that one of the problems is that America accepts the unacceptable. And that is the risk here that COVID 19 should be unacceptable. Like the degree of devastation that a virus that should be controllable has cost is enormous. And yet it's just going to become another thing, much like school shootings or police brutality that Americans come to accept as the background horror of their lives.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that is my, I guess when I'm thinking about the election, I feel like that acceptance happened already. And I don't know how you unwind acceptance of that. I mean, we've seen how hard with, like, gun violence that has been. Like, Sort of resensitizing ourselves to a horror seems to be very difficult for maybe all people everywhere, but especially us.
0: I mean, I would argue that part of this desensitization is the fact that nothing is being done. Yeah. So it's not just the folks who think that the pandemic, you know, is a hoax or, or whatever, it's also the people who really understand that it is a problem but see nothing being done yeah and it's um, just not it possible
2: is, to live if you are powerless individually to do anything about it at like sustaining a level of sadness and agitation is just like maladaptive like right. it doesn't I mean, help but, you and it doesn't help anything else
0: yeah and, and and to be clear, like we're not powerless like we can do stuff like it's it, it, if the federal government won't do anything, then it's up to individuals and individuals have a ton of power by things like masking up staying as safe as possible. Um, you know, avoiding crowded, prolonged indoor contact. We can do a lot. And and the, the really, the real tragedy, I think, of this year is that Americans really did a lot and a lot of stuff that wasn't natural to them. This is not a generation in this country that has experience of things like masks or, um, you know, physical distancing for prolonged periods of time. Right. Um, and yet people were surprisingly willing to take up these severe inconveniences to protect each other and to stay safe. Um, But I think there's only so much you can keep up that energy if you see that nothing is happening, right? Like if if there's a sense that people are playing that role but the government is not, and it's just sort of leaving people to bootstrap their way through this crisis on their own, At some point, people are going to get fed up. But that does mean that I think if you have a government that is actually functioning and that does take action, and if that action then leads to the type of control that we have thus far lacked, I think that will be motivating. Or at least I hope that will be motivating. You know, I think that will... (laughs) It will certainly give me more of a sense that... You know that the darkest possible future is can be averted. That we we still can do something about this crisis.
2: Got it. Thank you, Ed.
1: Um, Ed, did you know Catherine just got a puppy?
2: Oh, that's
0: nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad someone's having fun. What's your puppy, Catherine?
2: She's maybe a Great Pyrenees, which means she's enormous, and she's one, and her name is Betty, and Aww. she likes to chew on things, primarily as her main activity. And honestly, you know what? She does not care about the pandemic. <laughs> hmm. Or the election. She's like we're just not <laughs> depressed at all about that.
0: Fantastic. I'm very happy. May we may we all eventually join Betty. <laughs> <laughs> Do Betty, you have any Betty for um, president, honestly? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, sure but also we already have a president who doesn't care about the pandemic so
1: that's true you know <laughs> zing Wait, ed do you have a, a dog fact for Catherine? Uh, uh anything about the biology of dogs or anything that uh you could that might help her in her new life as an owner dogs are good dogs are you know well, that's a fact yeah fact
0: right? great in- great fact <laughs> This is why I am a nature writer, guys. I can't wait, can't wait to get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, hang on. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a dog fact. Okay. All right. Um, dogs famously have a great sense of smell. Mm-hmm. So when we sniff, we push odors into our nose on the inhale, right? So we sniff. Our nose picks up what's in the air around us, and then we exhale, and that volume of air gets pushed out, and we become kind of smell blind for a bit. But dogs keep on getting odors sucked up into their nose on both the inhale and the exhale because of the way their nose is structured. So a dog that is sniffing away will just have this constant conveyor belt of odor coming into their heads. Um, A
2: conveyor belt of odor.
0: (laughs) Which I think is very cool. Yeah, that
1: is cool.
2: That's really a funny picture. I would love to watch the, uh, what was that movie where all of the, it was like Inside the Little Girl's Head, the animated movie?
0: Oh, Inside Out.
2: Yeah, well, I would like to watch the animated movie set in A Dog's Nose.
0: Right, I mean, it's the same, except they're all joy. They're, they're all the same, they're all just running
2: around. And just uh, conveyor belts full of various odors come along, and they get to discuss them. Okay, Yeah. anyway, all right. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for yeah, all of your so much, reporting, and uh, we'll link to your pieces, and everyone should read them to hear more of Ed thoughts. Thanks for right. taking
0: the time, Ed. Stay safe, guys.
1: We'll talk to you again in a different world.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. One One can only hope. All right. Bye, guys.
2: Okay, bye.
1: Bye. Are you familiar with agnotology?
2: Agnotology?
1: Like the study of agnosis or not knowing.
2: Uh, I mean, no.
1: Yeah, it's kind of an, a niche idea, but it's this sort of purposeful sowing of of debate and doubt in people's minds. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm most worried about with this election because Trump seems to be pivoting to outright denial of the basic numbers, not just downplaying and confusing, but actually saying the whole thing is kind of made up. And that's the direction you know that we've gone with with gun violence, with climate change, with all the things you were talking about, where it can feel overwhelming, but it's inaction through confusion. And mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. I really, like, I worry that the days of, you know, having Trump give a stage to Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks and Robert Redfield at all, of having a coronavirus task force that's sharing accurate numbers with you and mm-hmm. legitimately acknowledging the problem could seem quaint. We would get to a point where we, We don't even talk about it. And and we're completely divided in a way that, you know, Trump doesn't acknowledge that climate change is the result of carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. And he might not, you know, acknowledge that this virus is even a thing or that it's actually killing anyone that the escalation moves in that direction. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's not just continuing to play out what's happening now. That's, that's the reality of how all these problems have been faced. Um,
2: Yeah, it's interesting. That's reminding me. I feel like one of the very first weeks of this whole thing, we talked to McKay and he said, what did he say?
1: Censorship through noise.
2: Censorship through noise. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, back in in the 80s and 90s, there was at least like a unification around the idea that climate change was a problem and we needed to do something. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there was kind of political disagreement about what to do. And when it became so obvious that the answers were sort of systemic reforms that would hurt corporations, we there was a pivot to actually climate change is not a problem and yeah, right. that's what I you know I worry that it's so clear that the reforms needed to address this pandemic and prevent future ones are systemic in nature and so the only answer will be to say oh pandemics aren't a problem this is not a problem this yeah. is not happening mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so that's what's at stake for me
2: well we have endeavored to seek clarity although I'm sure we produced some noise in conversations thus far. And uh, I guess we will talk uh, after next week.
1: So we will.
2: Have a good week, Jim. You too. Okay. This uh, show was produced today by Kevin Townsend. You can write us at, at theatlantic.com. You can support The Atlantic and get access to all of our journalism at theatlantic.com slash support us. We say it every week, but we really mean it. Okay.
1: Okay. Talk to you later.